the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. This is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Anything and everything that's on your heart, we'll do the best that we can to find answers from the Bible. I always tell people, if you fall in love with your Bible, you will fall in love with Jesus, and we make them that promise. Here's the way you can call us. It's area code 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free if you're outside the local area by dialing 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, a hands-free feature. All you have to do is push one button. Call now, and you'll be connected directly to the studio. Let me ask again, rather than have all the questions pile up or the calls pile up at the end of the program, uh, call early. program goes better that way. It's certainly more interesting because you're more interesting than I am, and we would love to have your input. One more time, 340-9585. I like Fridays because we're having church tonight. I'm going to be teaching in Acts chapter 16 tonight, the first 15 verses. Uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey getting started. Tonight is an especially significant one for any of you out there who might be a little impatient waiting for God to move on your behalf or waiting for him to open the doors that you need to be open. Um, we're going to find out you're just like the Apostle Paul uh, if that describes you. And then I get to teach in Luke chapter 1, Mary's Magnificat. Uh, this Sunday coming up, wherever you go to church, um, be available to be used by the Lord. Look for the people who are hurting and the people who are, are, are broken and confused. Look for those people and be um, sort of Jesus' ambassador for them. Don't go to church with the expectation that somebody's going to do something for you. Instead, you be the servant. And let the Lord smile upon you. One thing, and then we'll get right into some questions. I would ask your prayers. We mentioned it on the program yesterday. Paula and I did. But Paula, she just called me. She just arrived at the retreat center where she is going to be teaching a woman's retreat. She's going to be speaking four times throughout the weekend. So I would appreciate if you would keep Paula in your prayers. Uh, I would be very, very grateful. Okay, 340-9585. Here is our first question. This one comes from our mobile app from Kirby. Um, what does waters above the skies mean in Psalm 148, verse 4? Um, psalm 148 is just a psalm of praise. Um, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. 
Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. So since this is a song of creation praising, you know, Paul says in the book of Romans that all creation groans, awaiting its redemption. Well, this is a psalm written a long time before about everything in the earth, everything in God's creation, having a voice to praise Him. Now, specifically, Kirby, for your question, the waters above the skies is simply a, a poetic way of saying that the rain that comes from the sky. It's not a reference to a canopy or anything. Um, um, you know, as we go back to uh, the book of Genesis, this is simply... Um, the psalmist is looking out and he's just looking for anything and everything and, and how they're praising the Lord. So he continues with that theme um, throughout the psalm. But all he's saying there is um, your highest heavens, that which is above the heavens that we can see, but also the waters above the sky, that which provides life on earth. The Bible says that God supplies rain to the just and the unjust, to the righteous and the wicked. And certainly he can be praised for all those things. So that is nothing more than a psalm of praise. So Kirby, thank you. I hope that answers your question. Cindy wants to know, where did the first Gentiles come from and did they know God? Cindy, no, they didn't know God. Now, a Gentile is, by definition, a non-Jew. So a better question would be, when did the first Jew come from, and, and we find that in, of course, the person of Abraham uh, in the book of Genesis, beginning in Genesis chapter 12, when his story begins to be told. So technically, everyone um, that's not a Jew is a Gentile. Some translations say uh, Jews and Greeks, most translations say Jews and Gentiles, and he's making that distinction between the people. The Jews were God's chosen people, the Gentiles were everybody else. But no, the first Gentiles certainly didn't know God. It's interesting, Cindy, because um, Abraham comes from an idol-worshipping family. Uh, He was an idol-worshipper. And I always imagine that, that his discovery process of, of, of finding the Lord, literally the Lord finding him, was based on something along the lines of, you know, I've got all these idols in, in the ancient world. There would be a room uh, or a building actually erected to, to uh, the, the false gods. And they would have gods of everything. But all those gods, you know, they would make with their own hands. If they were a carpenter, they'd make them out of wood. Uh, they could chisel rocks and stones and they would make all kinds of different uh, idols that would would basically cover everything that they could ever have a need for in terms of prayer. And they would make sacrifices to those idols. Well, Abraham and his family were among those Gentiles, those non-Jews, before Jews ever existed, um, who worshipped those idols. And I always imagine Abraham going into that room one day Um, a religious man, very diligent in his worship. But I remember him, I I imagine him looking at those idols and saying, well, how could you be God? How can I pray to you? How can I get any help from you? If I made you with my own hands, what kind of power do you have? And I personally believe that this was a process that was building up this sort of dissatisfaction that God was creating in Abraham to the point finally God said, or Abraham said to God, if you're real, I have to know who you are. And it was at that point that he would have heard those words, Abram, Abram. And God would give him some instructions. He would be blown away, Abraham would, thinking, a God who knows my name, a personal God, not a stone God or a wood God, little G's. But, but there's a God out there who knows me personally. And so from the beginning, Abraham, the father of our faith, called a friend of God, he realized that that was what God always desired, was a personal relationship. God wanted a friend. It's not that he needs friends the way we humans need friends. But he wanted to walk with us in the cool of the garden. You see, that was broken off in the Garden of Eden. He used to do that with Adam and with Eve. But after they fell, that that relationship was cut off. All God wanted was a friend. 
I also like to imagine Abraham going into Sarah, Sarai at the time was her name, and he would say, I, I, I found God. And she would say, well, of course you did. You went out to the room filled with idols. No, I, I found God. Well, how do you know it was God? Well, he called me by my name. Well, what did he say? He told me to leave my family and leave my people and go to a place away from here. Well, where are we going? She would ask, and his response would be, I don't know. He'll show us. But you see, the meeting with God for Abraham was so profound, so profound that he convinced her. And that's where the first Jews came from, the first man who was chosen by God. And Abraham, of course, given the covenant of circumcision, he would be the father of our faith. So, Cindy, I hope that answers your question. Gentiles are everybody who is not a Jew. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question. It comes from our email inbox. This one's from Nacho. Pastor Ron, does the passage in Isaiah 62, verse 11 and 12, refer to the return of Jesus to earth and his millennial kingdom? And are the words in verse 11, his reward and recompense, uh, a reference to the church? Uh, yeah, in that series of chapters at the end of Isaiah, it's a reference, Nacho, to uh, the millennial kingdom being set up. So, yeah, that's what Isaiah is talking about, the return of Jesus to earth uh, to establish his seat on the throne of his ancestor David. And when it says he's coming with his reward with him, his inheritance, another translation says, uh, that's a reference to all of those throughout history who have been saved by believing in Jesus. Even, I spoke about Abraham before, but but, but Abraham will be there, uh, Isaiah will be there. Um, uh, all those who look forward to the coming of the Christ, uh, those who believed God when he said he would send him, and then those of us, of course, on this side of the cross who we can look back at history and know that God has sent him. So um, the Isaiah chapters from chapter 60 forward to the end of the chapter are as complete a picture as we're going to get of what life is going to be like in the Millennial Kingdom. So that's the reference. Nacho, you are correct. Here is a question from Nicholas. Can you explain what Paul meant when he referred to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? I can, Nicholas. It doesn't mean that there's three levels of heaven, you know, and Mormons have distorted this uh, verse um, horribly. Um, what Paul was talking about um, in St. Corinthians 12, he's talking about his own experience going to heaven after he was stoned to death in Lystra. Um, he says, I was taken, um, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but I was taken to heaven. And when he talks about the third heaven, he's talking about the, uh, the abode or the dwelling place of God. Now, to make this clear, it's, it's very straightforward. If he were to talk about the first heaven, he would be talking about the sky that we see every day. I woke up this morning, I looked out into the eastern sky, there was the big sun, bright. Um, um, I was with the Lord. Um, so I would say that's the first heaven, as, as Paul was making reference. The second heaven, Nicholas, would be a reference to what we call outer space, that which we can't see with our eyes, but we need a powerful telescope to see beyond it. Uh, a place of weightlessness, a place of 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 uh, mystery, because we we just can't see outer space from where we are. Uh, the third heaven, and that's the reference that Paul makes in Second Corinthians twelve. The third heaven is simply to his uh, abode, his dwelling place, and that's nothing more than uh, a reference to the throne of God. Paul was taken up in that moment, that instant he died. Think about that. From when he died, he went to heaven. God showed him all around. Showed him inexpressible things, things that man's not permitted to tell. How long did it take? <laughs> how long was Paul dead before Jesus sent him back? And how bummed would Paul be when Jesus said, you got to go back? We know that he would later write that to live is Christ, but to die is better by far. He knew 
because he'd been there. So that is exactly um, what he was referring to. He was taken up into heaven. Um, outside of time and space, he could have spent what would have seemed like a long time there, but it could have only been an instant here on earth. But that is the reference. So thank you for your question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Let's go to Harold on line one. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. It's been a long time that I've called. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I've been working a little bit late. Uh, I want to let you, you know, know my son. Uh, he has a fiance now. They're both working on their masters at uh, UTSA, and he's going to join the army as an officer and call in the work. But um, I heard the last part of the comments the other lady had had of the question about the um, uh, the Jews being uh, I forgot what she said. <laughs> well, her, her question, Cindy's question was, where did the first Gentiles come from, and did yeah, they the know Gentile, God? Yeah, the that's the word. Right, mm-hmm. right. Okay, thank you. I was I was uh, leaving this uh, stop sign and uh, parked in the parking lot at all the same time, but so that's the difference. The Gentiles are the people that aren't Jewish. And also, I was wondering, you know, when Jesus preaching, he would always say to the nation. And sometimes in the Old Testament, you would hear a lot of references to the nation. And and I was wondering, I, to me, I think that is everyone else that's not Jewish. Would that be close? Yep. If it's you're, you're at, being, yeah. So that's yeah, all Harold, right. you're, yeah, you're you're right there, um, Harold. Uh, when, yeah, yeah, you, you know when when we read through the Old Testament, there's there's uh, a, a multiple verses that reference Gentile inclusion. Now, of course, Jews couldn't uh, understand that; they refused to understand it. That's why uh, um, I do, we just studied the Council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 last week, and that's why uh, when James and the Council met to decide whether Christians had to become Jews in order to be saved, um, um, what, what James said, James the Lord's half brother, he said that um, you know uh, all of these people. Um, are included. Just what Paul is teaching agrees with the scriptures. So there was a a lot of scriptures about Gentile inclusion. Jesus talked about having sheep that were not of this fold because he came to the Jews. Uh, The gospel was sent first to the Jews, to Israel, and then to the rest of the nation. So that's exactly uh, uh, what's being being spoken of there, Harold. Harold, tell your son congratulations. Okay, please tell your son okay. congratulations. Thank you, Harold. And it's good I to hear. Mean, uh, you, uh, okay, good to uh, hear from you, Harold. Bye bye. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Harold's a longtime caller, and I, I'm, I worry about you guys when you when I don't hear from you for a time. So that's a really really good thing to hear. Let's go to San Antonio, Texas, and talk with Pete now on line two. Pete, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello. Uh, yes, Pastor Ron. So. Uh, I guess my question is kind of more like a, a career choice question. Um, I mean, as a believer, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, I, I want to pursue a certain career path, you know, career goals, income goals, that kind of thing. But uh, I know we know that, you know, the Word of God says that we cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, but my, my, my thoughts are, I guess, what I'm wrestling with. And I have wrestled with this in the past. I know you mentioned you were you had a car lot and whatnot. Had had your own car business. And mm-hmm. I actually did uh, try my hand at car sales for a little while, and I found myself, uh, you know, always kind of on the edge there. Like, okay, I don't want to compromise my values. I don't want to do anything that's seedy or shady or anything like that. And I and I will say this: uh, right around the time that I left. Uh, business. I was only in it for a short period of time. I had some health issues. But right around the time that I left, um, one of my very last deals was, in, in one way, it's kind of conflicting. I was kind of proud of it because I did everything. That I, I felt like I did everything right based on what I had been learning on my own. Uh, as you know, the car business, while they promise you training, they don't always train you thoroughly or effectively <laughs> in the beginning. And so it's kind of like... That is, 
Pete, that is a big understatement. Yes, yes, sir. And so, uh, my point being is, in the end, you know, I was kind of training myself, and in the end, you know, my last deal, I made a really nice commission, and I felt like I was pretty proud of myself because I felt like, you know, I had applied my learning, what I'd learned off of YouTube and reading books and things like that. And but at the same time, my manager held back on the trade, and I felt like he robbed these people on their trade. And uh, yeah. I know you know, you know, you can relate to all that. You can you can expound on that. Well, I am now. I'm kind of in this process where I, I took a telemarketing job, you know, another facet, another angle of the sales process. Uh, but I'm actually seeking employment uh, with a, a large, a larger group. Uh, which really promises a lucrative income. I don't see anything wrong with it per se, but I know that there are some people who are naysayers about the product. I don't want to disclose the product or the organization at this time. Uh, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts as far as uh, you know the conflict that I'm dealing with. And right now, yeah. I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of com- I'm kind of comfortable with this position. I'm not comfortable with the sales position, but basically the position that I'm applying for would be generating leads. And uh, what I told my wife was basically, I'm not I'm not the guy taking their head off, but am I the guy who's leading them to the slaughter? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was wondering if I could get your comments. I'll, I'll take your answer off the air. Thank you, Pete. God bless you. You know, let me say this first. Uh, there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. Uh, there's nothing at all wrong or sinful. Um, um, it's what you do with your money. It's the way you make your money, and those are the struggles that you've been having. And Pete, pretty much any sales position that you get into, uh, you're going to be challenged every day to represent Jesus rather than to take advantage of people. And you're in a profession, and, and uh, uh, having owned a car dealership, and and uh, prior to owning a car dealership, I, I worked in the car business for 21 years, and uh, I know what it was like to brag about the, the big commissions and to to look at people like, oh boy, there's somebody I can rip their heads off. I mean, that's just part and parcel of the business. Um, but but let me also say this to you: I believe with all of my heart that it is in sales. Uh, I, I would also add lawyers, Pete, to this equation. Uh, it's in places like this where God needs his people. And I believe that a man or a woman who will not compromise um, their Christian walk by taking shortcuts, by cheating, uh, by doing what their managers say to do and taking advantage of people, uh, I believe that God would bless those people in sales so very, very much. Pete, I have a son who's 45 years old who is uh, going through exactly the same struggle. Uh, a believer, sort of immature in his faith, but uh, at the same time, um, struggling with this whole idea. And what he's found is that he's fighting not against uh, humans, he's fighting against God. So two things for you, Pete, and I hope this really, really gives you some clarity. First, rather than seek your own career path, ask God what he has for you. He'll speak very specifically to your heart. These are important decisions. This isn't a secret that he's trying to keep. But but if you're in his word, if you're with Jesus during the day, he'll speak to your heart. But you've got to read systematically. You've got to invest. You've got to learn really a lot about who Jesus is. And you'll be able to recognize his voice. You know, for me, when I'm reading in the Bible and the Lord is about to speak to me or gets, gets to a, a really significant portion of Scripture that he wants to share something very personally with my heart, it's almost like bells or alarms are going off. It's not really that way, but that's the best way I can describe it. And then I get there, and it's like God's saying, okay, this is what I have in answer to your question. So seek what God has for you. You don't want to find yourself fighting against God. I told my son, Pete, and I'll tell you the same thing. If you're looking to make a lot of money, and that's not God's plan for you, you're never going to be successful. And it's going to end up with you being frustrated. It's not because God doesn't want you to be rich. It's because he has something better for you. So there's nothing at all wrong with money. But but it depends on how you make it. It depends on whether or not in your sales office or in this particular case, your lead generating place, can Jesus be with you? Are you 
comfortable with the knowledge that the people that you are referring to salespeople are going to be taken advantage of. If you know that to be the case, are you aware of that? I mean, if you would meet some of those people, let's just say in church you met somebody and, 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 and they just had a terrible experience with one of the salespeople you referred them to, how would you explain that as a believer to them? So these are issues that are more important than I can communicate. You've got to wrestle with Jesus. Genesis chapter 32 might be a good place for you to, to, to read tonight, Pete. Read uh, where Jacob wrestled all night with Jesus. And let the Lord speak to you in that because he's got a plan for you. And I think as Christians, too many of us, we try to follow our own plan or find our own path when Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that God already has created a path for us to walk in. And, and as a man with a family and responsibilities, the best thing you can do for yourself, for your family, the very best thing is to find out what God's plan is and get right in the middle of that plan. So, Pete, I empathize with you. I understand the struggle you're going with through better than you know. But God's always going to win these battles. Just help him to win early rather than late. We've got 30 minutes left in the week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program um 340-9585 i'm laughing because i was talking with a couple of the guys our producer and one of the teachers here at the academy about the crowd of people that was at the Avengers movie this morning. Uh, you know, I, I do some running by the gym here in the, the, the city that we live in. And uh, I, that parking lot's usually wide open so I can run around the parking lot. Well, today that place was packed at 9 o'clock in the morning. And it dawned on me that this is the day that the new Avengers movie comes on. And I was just being made fun of because he said, are you going to see it? And I said, no, who would want to see that? And, of course, I'm the only one in the world probably that doesn't really care to see it. But... I, I said, I will depart from this world without ever having watched anything sci-fi from Star Wars on down. So let's talk about important stuff. Here's a question anonymously from our mobile app. Is it a sin to pray for one's death? Um, that's a tough one because the answer is yes and no. Uh, if your motive is vengeance or revenge, of course that's a sin. But if your motive is to end someone's suffering, somebody who you know is a believer, if your motive for praying for their death is that they wouldn't suffer anymore, they, they, they're ready to be with Jesus, you're ready for them to be with Jesus, and it's just too painful, then no, it's not a sin. Anonymous, here's what I do, and, and we have these situations occur a lot in a church as big as ours. Uh, there's people that are just tired. They're ready to go be with the Lord. They're ready to receive their reward. They're in a lot of pain and they're suffering here. And so I pray, Jesus, would you take them peacefully? Would you take them quickly and, and, and safely into your arms? But then I say, look, I can't tell you what to do. You know what's best. So thy will, not my will be done. And I think that's something that that makes sure we understand that it's God who's in charge of these decisions. You know, I've watched people suffer, people that love God with all of their heart. I've watched them suffer, and people cry, why won't God take them? And yet I've seen, because God left them here for a while, people in their families, some of them would come to faith in Christ. I've seen people in a lot of pain be really, really faithful witnesses to family members and friends, and people would respond. So... You know, the timing of these things is in the Lord's hand. Now, if there's somebody that's just really, really done you wrong, then you need to pray for their life. You need to pray for their salvation rather than their death. You just simply cannot let vengeance or anger cripple your walk with Jesus. 
So whatever the situation, those are two extremes. Um, sometimes yes and sometimes no. Uh, if a third possibility, if you're praying for your own death, um, it's very, very, very tricky ground to be on. The way to pray if it's you you're talking about is to simply say, Jesus, I'm your servant. You're the Lord of life and you're the Lord of death. And so I give you my life. Take it as you will. Now, having said that, it's easy when somebody's suffering to say, I need it to end. But the same principle applies if you can at the end of your prayer in good conscience with a good heart say Jesus your will not my will be done that's the plight of the Christian life and death is in the hands of God so anonymous I hope that answers your questions here is a question from Kay from our email inbox Uh, can you guide us as New Testament believers on how to practically keep the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy? Okay, before I answer your question, uh, and I will be as practical as I know how to be, um, we New Testament believers have no fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy. In your New Testament, all of the Ten Commandments except this one are repeated in the New Testament. So we have no commandment to keep. And I see people struggle with this, and this just simply isn't an issue for the New Testament believer. Paul says that we're to keep all days alike. We're to honor all days. Now, the Sabbath, the, the New Testament day that the Christians chose to gather to celebrate the resurrection, is the first day of the week. So obviously we want to go uh, to church, and we want to, to be available to hear from the Lord. We, we want um, to be used by God. We, we want to be his hands and his heart and, and his voice and his hugs to people who are, are lost and hurting and hungry and broken, needy and confused. So that would be the way you would do it in church. Serve others. That's keeping the commandment um, uh, in, in, in principle uh, in a New Testament construct. Uh, but but it's not about rest. Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So the, the, the fourth commandment has been satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. And we who are with Jesus, we who are born again Christians, we have, we already have fulfilled the commandment. The Sabbath was a picture of Jesus to come. We have the reality of Jesus to come. So that was a commandment to Israel, for Israel, and for individual Jews. Now, let me get, I hope, even more practical, Kay, as it relates to how we keep the, 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 the everyday holy uh, unto the Lord, as Paul said. And we do that by being with Jesus. We do that with open Bibles. We do it with open hearts. Now, that doesn't mean we do it all day that way. We've got jobs, we've got lives, we've got people that depend on us and people we depend on. But what it means to keep the day holy is take Jesus to work with you. When you get up, if you're anything like me, I'm getting old and my body hurts. And sometimes it's really hard right out of bed to to get my mind and my heart focused on Jesus. So I have to work hard. I want to enter into prayer with him. I want to begin praying for other people. And, and that's the way I keep the mornings holy. Paul and I, we sit down with our Bibles open, and she reads to me. I'm visually impaired, so, so she reads to me repeatedly. Whereas a husband and wife, we're keeping our marriage holy. When we go to the gym, we're looking for opportunities to pray for people, to witness to people. At the same time, we're, we're working out because we want to keep our bodies healthy and strong enough to serve the Lord. That's keeping that time holy. When we come to work, I come, uh, Paul and I usually separate, we go our different ways after we leave the gym. And uh, I come here to the church, and she goes and does whatever it is that she's got on her schedule for that day. But, but by keeping Jesus included in every event of that day, we're always with him, and thus he is the force by which we keep the rest of the day holy. We 
practice the fruit of the Spirit, not only with one another, but with other people as well. And when we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, Kay, we are keeping the day holy. So it's not one day. And I think that's the big misunderstanding for, for Sabbath keepers, is Jesus never wanted one day of our lives. He wanted every day, every ounce of our fiber and being. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. And we keep the day holy by being with him, by saying no to our flesh, saying no to sin and temptation, and in the process then of saying yes to him. And that's how we fulfill the commandment. So this isn't about not traveling. This isn't about not doing things or, or not working. Uh, this is about being with Jesus every single day of the week. Again, I'll summarize by saying New Testament Christians have no fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy because Jesus already did that for us. So, okay, thank you for the question. I hope that helps. Here is another anonymous question from our mobile app. Pastor Ron, I've heard you say that you do not care for dating sites. That is an understatement. That's my imposition here, Anonymous. How do you feel about matchmaking in the body, where people in the body think others should meet and work on arranging a date or two? Anonymous, I have said this. Are the people who come to my, our church here at Calvary Chapel, they can all mouth the words that I'm about to say to you. Tell people to mind their own business. There's one matchmaker, his name is the Holy Spirit, and he's the one that directs our steps. So I, I, I understand I'm a dinosaur, Anonymous. Um, uh, we've got some of those wonderful Christian young men and women in the world, and these are kids that have grown up uh, in the computer age, and for them, um, going to a Christian dating site, website, is as natural as as taking a drink of water. Um, but but I, I just wonder sometimes, where's the faith? Now, every time I say this, people say, well, I met my husband, uh, one of the young men that I was just talking to at the break here. Uh, I, I just married them, he, he and his wife, um, uh, a short time ago. They met online. So there's, somebody's always going to say, well, but, but if, if I didn't believe in dating sites, then, then I wouldn't have met her, I wouldn't have met him. Well, that's really a lack of trust in God. Where is the faith in saying, Jesus, you guide my steps? If, as most of us believe, God has a man or a woman for us, if we're following Jesus, does it even seem possible, even remotely possible, that we wouldn't find that person if we're following Jesus? So I don't care for dating sites. I, I think they demonstrate a lack of faith. At the same time, I realize that I'm the dinosaur in the room here. Now, uh, about matchmaking. Don't let people do that for you. Uh, if they're trying to make uh, a match or set, set you up with a date, just tell them thank you, but I've got Jesus. He's going to lead me and guide me. It will be a wonderful witness to them. You know, I, I think it's kind of a backhanded compliment when people want to set you up with somebody. It's like, well, you can't get a date on your own, so I'm going to do it for you. Or I know this nice boy, or I know this nice girl. Um, what an opportunity for those of us who are single in this body. What an opportunity for us to demonstrate that we really trust God. That God's going to take care of this. You know, surely on a website, no one would lie about being a Christian. I say that with tongue-in-cheek because we've had that happen a bunch. Well, at the same time, uh, I've seen people trying to set up matches in the church, ruin friendships. You know, God knows. He knows your heart. He's preparing you for that man or that woman that he's got waiting for you. At the same time, he's preparing them for you as well. Is it too much to ask that we wait for God's timing? So just tell people nicely, I appreciate the intent, however, uh, I'm going to let Jesus do my matchmaking. Now, I say that, and I'm going to say the rest of this with tongue-in-cheek. I've told a whole bunch of the kids here, when I see them um, 
starting to find somebody they're interested in, um, we'll look at them and say, no, 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 you let your parents pick your husband or your wife. You let me pick your husband or wife. We'll do a much better job than you because we're not going to get emotional in the process. Um, so um, uh, I, I just say those things jokingly. But the idea here is let God take you to the man and the woman that God has for you. Thank you, Anonymous. Here is a, a question from Matt from our mobile app. He says, Lately we've read and heard commentaries saying that you cannot serve God and government at the same time. If God has established all authority on earth, um, every government, doesn't that already infer that we may serve under that government? The Old Testament is strewn with examples of servants of the kings of Israel, scribes, secretaries, etc. Matt's good point. Um, uh, a couple of things. The Old Testament's a theocracy. God was the king. We are not. Um, I don't know who you're reading that say you can't serve God in government, but but you know we know that God has His people everywhere. So uh, certainly He is going to going to have uh, some people uh, that He's called to serve uh, in government capacity. Um, you know, I think there's always going to be a tension between doing what God says and what the government says. But, but see, that's a tension that we Christians have to navigate. So surely you can serve God and government at the same time. Um, some of the, the, the most wonderful Christians I know, uh, and I'm just talking about people in our church, are, are, are serving our government in the military and serving the rest of us by extension. We've got other people who have, who have run for political office. It wasn't too long ago. I think it was early in the month when we were in Plano. Uh, I had a pastor of a, of a Calvary Chapel in Temple, Texas, who uh, was approached to ask to run for a state assembly seat here in Texas. And, and he thought, no, that's silly, but, but he really believed God wanted him to do it. Now, he didn't win. But at the same time, um, the doors that were open, the opportunities he had to take a stand for Jesus publicly with a lot of media attention on him were wonderful ways. So, yeah, you can serve God and government. Here's the key. When you go to your government job or your government position, elected or appointed, just make sure you take Jesus with you. Remember that you're a man under orders. So... Um, um, you know, commentaries and, and um, preachers, you know, we've got agendas sometimes. And and anybody who would say you can't serve God and government at the same time uh, doesn't know their Bible real well. Uh, that the pastor was Brandon Hall from um, from Calvary Chapel of Temple, Texas. Uh, I, I ordained him, and, and we, we, we affirm, affiliated him as a, as a Calvary Chapel pastor. Uh, and, and the whole time I was talking to him, Matt, I really believe with all my heart that this is an area that God is going to open the door for him. He's already being pressured to run again. Um, uh, he, he did remarkably well for a, for a last-minute candidate with, with very little funding. Uh, and now the people are coming back, and so there's time to organize and do things. So that was just maybe a setup for something God wants him to do. But but of course, God's established all authority. It doesn't mean he picks the people who are in authority. I want that to be clear. Just that the positions of authority are established by God to keep things on earth orderly. So yeah, we, we do serve under the government. We should serve under the government if that's what you're called to do. So don't confuse the theocracy of the Old Testament and, the, and, the, and the, the serving the government in our question. But, but uh, I really, really, really hope and pray um, the way this world that we live in is going. It, it, every, everybody, I think, has probably read by now what California is trying to do. Uh, eventually, the Bible will be illegal in California if they get their way. Now, all of these things will be turned um, um, right side up by the Supreme Court if, if they get there. But the point is, we're in this apostate time, this falling away. And our government now, as long as we're here as stewards on earth, our government now needs to hear God's voice. And I encourage young men and women to figure out a way to serve God fruitfully and faithfully. 
Now, you can't compromise for a paycheck. You can't compromise when uh, a government job says you can't say this, you can't say that. But but um, you got to be willing to face the consequences of standing with Jesus, standing for Jesus. And I hope more and more people do run for political office, those who are committed Christians. Um, so, Matt, I hope that helps. And if God is calling you, don't worry about what anybody else says. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Raymond. Raymond says, "Is it true that God wanted Adam and Eve to sin?" Raymond, you've been reading some Calvinist propaganda, haven't you? No, God didn't want them to sin. What God wanted was for Adam and Eve to walk in the cool of the garden with him and have fellowship with him in a perfect creation for the rest of time. Now, clearly God knew that wasn't going to happen because God knows everything. But God had to give them a choice. He couldn't force them. Uh, That wouldn't be love. And yes, God's heart would be broken because of the choice that they made. Think about this. Adam, Adam, where art thou, Adam? Well, I'm over here hiding because we were naked and we were ashamed. You ate from the tree, didn't you, God said. And the answer is yes. Can you imagine how heartbreaking it is to Jesus when we allow sin to interrupt the fellowship he died for, he paid everything for. Well, that started in the Garden of Eden and it continues to this very day. So it's not true that he wanted them to sin. He knew that they were going to sin. Thus the plan of salvation that was hatched before the foundations of the world were laid. In eternity past, Jesus was always the Son of God and would be God the Son. So for sure, um, God didn't want them to sin, nor does he want you to sin. He knows what you're going to do, but you get to make the choice. Thank you for the question. Let's go to line one. Daniel calling from San Antonio. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor. I want to ask you a question real quick. I just want to ask you, um, sometimes, you know, when you're telling people about Jesus, and sometimes people will say stuff like, um, you know, they ask, well, what if I try this? But then I decide I wanted to go back, you know, and I, you know, I just get in my mind, I just get, I, you know, I just start to wonder as, you know, I mean, how do you answer something like that? I mean, I, I kind of pictured in my head, you know, if, if you're trying to help somebody, a house that's burning, but then they get out and then they say <laughs> they want to go back into that house. I kind of yeah. imagine that kind of similar, but I, I don't know. How would you answer something like that? Yeah, it's a good, good picture you painted with the burning house, Daniel. Uh, I, I've had that exact thing happen, uh, and I just tell people, well, look, you're going to hell already, so what have you got to lose? Give Jesus a try, and if you go back, you're still going to hell, but uh, why not try it? And, and, and let the Lord deal with people like that. Usually, Daniel, those people are not being honest. That's a disingenuous question. Uh, they're sort of laying the foundation for their failure. And, and I always find that being very direct with people, and I'm not pushy or obnoxious, but if somebody is asking me about what will happen if, if I try Jesus out and it doesn't work, uh, I'll let him know up front, well, you know you're already condemned, you're already going to hell, so you've got nothing to lose. But here's what you're going to find. If you do it honestly with your whole heart, you're going to find how much Jesus loves you, and you're going to find that peace and that rest that you're looking for. But that's up to you. You've got to make the choice. And often yeah. that will create more questions and give me more opportunities to, to, to answer those questions. But, you know, people walk away. What they do with the information that we gave them is now a transaction between them and God alone. Yeah, that's what I thought, because, you know, I've, you know, like I said, I've, you know, since I've gotten saved, I, you know, I, I've, you know, I've never lost faith in God. And I, and I meet people all the time that they try to convince me that there's no God or that, you know, that Jesus isn't real. And I'm like... You know, that's kind of like trying to convince me that my mom or dad wasn't real. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't feel like I'm at their mercy, you know? Yep, and you're not. Uh, You know, Daniel, because we're living in this time of this great falling away, 
There's lots and lots of people who claim to be Christians who turn their back on the faith. Well, I just no longer believe. But Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, explains that very thing. And Matthew 13, now read just the part where Jesus gives the explanation of the parable. It's a foundation parable. Read that to them and say, well, this is what describes uh, you coming from Jesus' lips alone. Um, and and um, you're scattering seed, the word of God, and they're going to respond to it one of four ways. And, and they get to choose what God knows about their future. Daniel, thanks. And keep sharing. Keep sharing. I appreciate it very, very much. You know, I, I've, my heart has been broken over the last few days because um, um, this situation that Daniel brought up uh, keeps playing itself out. Um, people that I know casually, uh, not well, they're not people that come to church or anything, but they'll email me or or um, call me and, well, you know, I'm just not sure I believe anymore. Um, you know, people who have really and truly met Jesus know. Like Daniel, I've never had a moment's doubt in 27 years that I was saved or that Jesus was real. Not one second doubting my salvation or doubting the existence of God. He met me so powerfully. And we live in a time where people simply will not invest. You know what they do? They come to Jesus. They feel good. There's an emotional release. Um, but they never really invest in the relationship. I mean, that's like going on a date with somebody and trying to get to know them, but never calling them back for a second date. You, you've got to invest in knowing him. And he'll take care of the security. Hey, it's been a great week on the program. Thank you for the calls. Um, make church a part of your the main part of your weekend this weekend tell somebody Jesus loves them and go to church and minister to the people who need to be ministered to God will use you and it will change everything you've been listening to the word to stand up for life Lord willing I'll be back Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 the word we'll see you then thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.